Good morning and welcome to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. This is so exciting to be in the presence of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Isn't it exciting that today, just as in every other day, we can know victory in Jesus. We can know that victory which overcomes principalities and powers. We can know God at work moving and ministering in our lives in ways that may be even beyond our comprehension or understanding. In the name of Jesus, we have the victory. So, that being said, let's have a listen to this week's lectionary psalm, read to us by Charlize. We're reading today from Psalms 104. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters, they sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers, the land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle, and plants for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor, until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you form to frolic there. All creatures look to you, to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew their face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. 
He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Welcome back to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. And as I said, I'm excited, I'm enthused by the victory that God has won for us. What the Lord has done on our behalf. And you could go and say, hey Nigel, that psalm that was read, Psalm 104, it's not speaking about victory. It's not speaking about what God has done for us. It's just speaking about the creation of the world. It's speaking about God's majesty. It's speaking about how everything is law and order. It's speaking about the way that life happens. And you're right. But one of the things that excites me about Psalm 104 is those few verses where it talks about the Leviathan frolicking in the sea. Now, there's debate to what Leviathan is, but for me, what I just think of in today's context is I just think of a big blue whale, 60 tons weight, out in the middle of the ocean, playing. I love it when we look at these nature programs and look at the whales and the way that they, they, they breach the water and their tails flip and all the rest of it. And they just seem to be having such fun, such freedom in all the expanse of the ocean. And you know, we can have that same joy, that same freedom in the expanse of God's love. Paul goes and prays, I pray that you will understand how high, how deep, how wide is the love of God for you. The truth is that we'll never be able to get to the edges of that expanse because the love of God is so vast and we can just relish it and love it. So, yes, I'm excited. I'm excited about the victory that Christ has won in our lives. I'm excited about the fact that he is our saviour. I'm excited about the fact that he is the one who brings deliverance into our lives. I am excited about the fact that he is the one who brings assurance. I am excited about the fact that he is the one who has created me in his image. He has created you in his image. He has created you for relationship. He has created you to have an intimate relationship with him, God, our Heavenly Father. And all of that excites me. I have forgotten to mention earlier, but Dominic is joining us as well to speak again on his next installment about faith. And again is looking at the faith of Abraham and the familiar story of Abraham and Isaac and them going up the mountain. And even in that, we see God's deliverance. We see God's redemption story. We see God paying the ransom because Christ is our Passover lamb. So yes, I am excited about what God is doing in our lives. Are you not excited by the victory that Christ has won for you on the cross? You see, I think the problem is when we look at church attendance, when we see how our churches are dwindling, all the rest of it, is because Christ is not real in our lives. And if Christ is not real in my life, then others are going to look at that. They're going to see. They're going to go and say, well, that person professes to be a follower of Jesus. Well, where is the joy in that? Where is the life in that? Where is the victory in that? I don't know. Maybe you've heard this long-standing joke. But one of the jokes is that what's the difference between a donkey and a Christian? 
And the answer is the length of their face. Yes, I am enthused and excited by what God is doing. One of the reasons then that goes and comes up is a question that's often asked is why would you go to church? Why bother going to church? Church doesn't even do anything for you. And so when I'm chatting with people and talking to people, I say, well, have you been to church lately? You know, have you gone to be in the presence of God and his people? And they're like, oh, that's boring. There's nothing in church. Well, Vera went and sent this little message to me. And I think it is excellent explanation about this. Let me read it to you. Why go to church? A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. He wrote, I have gone to church for 30 years now and in that time I have heard something like 3,000 sermons but for the life of me I can't remember a single one of them. I think I'm wasting my time. The preachers and priests are wasting theirs by giving these sermons at all. This started a real controversy in the letters to the editor section of the newspaper. Much to the delight of the editor, it went on for weeks until someone wrote this clincher. I've been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals, but for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this, they all nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. When you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. Thank God for our physical and our spiritual nourishment. If you cannot see God in all, you cannot see God at all. So when we look at Psalm 104, is that not also what the Psalms is bringing out? Not about going to church. Oh no, that's a different story. But I love that story that Vera sent me. No, but the Psalmist does see God in all. And because he sees God in all, it changes his perspective. But I love that. If you cannot see God in all, you cannot see God at all. So, how does that sum up your faith? God is a great God, working and moving and ministering in our lives. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, even in the midst of terrible circumstances. When Jeremiah sat down and penned the book of Lamentations, right in the centre of it, even in the midst of the destruction and desolation of Jerusalem at that time, he is there and he goes and writes what we have put into the chorus of the hymn. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Is that your prayer in your circumstances today? Here is Great is Thy Faithfulness. 
Welcome back to Heartland here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where, yes, I am fired up about the fact that we can live a victorious life in Jesus Christ, that the victory has been won on Calvary, that we can enjoy the love of God, that we can savour it like a calf soaking up the sun, or, as I said from Psalm 104, like that big blue whale just relishing and frolicking and playing in the ocean depths. God is a God who is with us, who is blessing us, who is leading us, who is guiding us, even through the ups and downs of life. And is it any wonder then that we can go and say, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord today. As you gather with me on this radio program, listening to the sound of my voice, is your meditation, is it that you are pondering, you are meditating, you are thinking on who God is and what he means to you? My prayer is that it is. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking from the fountain that never shall run dry. God has blessed us. God has promised, or Jesus promised us, as he did that lady at the well, that he would give us living water, which is welling up inside us to eternal life. A bubbling spring of joy, of God's love, of God's spirit, moving and flowing within us. Bringing life and enthusiasm and a purpose to this world of ours. I was listening to a person the other day on a little talk and they were saying that they don't listen to the evening news anymore because it starts off with the broadcaster going and saying good evening and that is the only thing that has been good about the whole program. Now we can't bury our head in the sand. It is important that we know what is happening in the world. But at the same time if we do actually go and limit the amount of negativity that we place in our lives and consider the beauty and the majesty of God through creation. It lifts our spirits. As we look at those autumn colours, as we look at the apples on the trees, as we look at the changing leaves as they fall to the ground, as we prepare for winter, does it not excite your soul, just the beauty of the world around about you? God is with you. God is blessing you. God has given you the victory in Jesus Christ. Is there any other reason why that we can be excited? As I said, when we look at that hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. Even in the midst of despair, even in the rubble of a ruined city, Jeremiah could see the blessing of God. Today, in what may be the rubble of your life, and I understand that. You know I've mentioned before that our house got burnt down and was reduced to a pile of rubble in an hour and a half. In the rubble of your life, whatever that is right now, can you see God's faithfulness, God's provision, God's majesty, God's care, God's hand upon your life? God is working, moving and ministering on your behalf. God is going to give you victory over these circumstances. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Folks, 
Dominic is going to be sharing of a different mountain experience after the break. But let me just encourage you, we who are Christians live a victorious life in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Good morning to you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. It's great to be with you again through the kind invitation of Nigel to join you today on Heartlands Midlands 103. These are God's roll call devotionals and this is number eight, entitled Abraham Again. What does it take to build a man of faith? What does it take to transform an idol-worshipping man so amazingly that he is declared to be, from God's own lips, my friend? Isaiah chapter 41 verse 8 Why do you think God chooses to devote so many verses in the Bible and here in Hebrews 11 to the faith of this one man? It is because of Abraham's faith and choices in the midst of God's plan to redeem the world. He had powerful instances of how to live out his faith with God and for God. And yet Abraham was an amazing example of a not yet perfect man. But he can grow in faith and in his relationship with God and so he becomes an incredible model for us. Also, while there are many types and examples in the Bible of Jesus such as Isaac and Jacob and Joseph to name but a few, there is only one type or example of God the Father in all of the Bible and that is Abraham. He was the one man on earth, who knew what it was to surrender his one and only son and be prepared to sacrifice him at God's command. I really appreciate the way that John Phillips sums up Abraham's life under these four headings. God discovers his man, finds a pagan from an idolatrous people who will listen, obey and go as God directs him. God detaches his man, removes him from all that he knew of his background, culture and even his land. God develops his man, teaches this man just how faithful God is, in spite of the man's flaws. And God displays his man, reveals him to us through the pages of the Bible and here in Hebrews 11, just See how much God delights in his friend. Now let's read our verses for today. Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. In verses 17 to 18, see his readiness to obey. And in verse 19, see his eagerness to trust. 
Verses 17 to 18. See his readiness to obey. We get the distinct impression from our reading of the text that this sacrifice was already completed in Abraham's mind. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It was all it was already a done deal. And even in the narrative in Genesis chapter 22, verse 3, we do not read of a moment's pause for delayed discussion or dialogue with God. Early the next morning he set out. Abraham doesn't appear to show hesitation at all. He prepares methodically for the journey and sacrifice. He takes Isaac, wood, two servants, and sets off to go to the region of Mount Moriah that God had told him about. God was again guiding his steps and his journey. What memories that would have evoked of times past. Abraham knew what the promises of God were all about. It would only be through Isaac that his lineage would be reckoned. And those prom promises had been given to him in Genesis chapter 12, 15, 17, and 18. It would be from that one fruitful union with Sarah, their posterity and legacy would emerge. So we read the words, sacrifice his one and only son. They cannot fail to make us catch our breath. Take us deep into the heart of John 3.16, revealing how this man, Abraham alone, proved to be the type of God the Father, the example of God the Father, who would indeed give his one and, own and only Son as the provided Lamb who would take away the sin of the world. John 1 verse 29. See that this was not just blind faith. This was faithful trust in the God who had said to him, about the prom promises being only through Isaac. Abraham was still listening, obeying, and walking with God. Bearing all of these thoughts in mind makes Abraham's re readiness to obey God's command here all the more remarkable. Verse 19. See his eagerness to trust. Is this not where faith must always bring us to? Trusting in God, not passively waiting, but actively serving the Lord in the midst of matters and times that often we don't quite understand, but we still follow and obey. Can you see Abraham's eagerness to trust God in all of this? There is no delay, no procrastination, no waiting until he, Abraham, has it all figured out. He already knows what God's will is because God has already told him. Now, he obeys, even though he doesn't understand the purpose of God behind it all, yet. But neither does that stop Abraham from thinking. And so consider his reasoning here based on his past experiences with God. Hasn't God already proven to him and Sarah that he is the God of the impossible. So even before he takes Isaac 
to the place of sacrifice, he says to the two servants, stay here. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Genesis 22 verse 5. If God is going to slay Isaac, then God must be going to raise Isaac. Abraham's apparently conflicted circumstances cannot overcome God's almighty assurances. Hence, his eagerness, excitement, and expectation to see what and how his God was going to bring all of this about. I believe Abraham knew that there was going to be divine intervention of some kind in all of this, and he certainly was not disappointed just as the knife was about to fall, the angel of the Lord did intervene and spoke approvingly of Abraham's obedience in Genesis 22, verses 12 to 18. Remarkably, though, Isaac's obedience and complicity in all of this is not even mentioned, even though it must have been given. And then God provides the ram caught in the thicket that was sacrificed in Isaac's place, much to his relief, I'm sure. Then the Lord spoke to Abraham a second time and affirmed the promise that had already been cited in Hebrews 11, verse 12. So, going back to the way that John Phillips sums up Abraham's life under his four excellent headings, God discovers his man, God detaches his man, God develops his man, God displays his man. This is the only man ever to be called God's friend. And in Hebrews 11 verses 8 to 19, you can just sense how much God delights in his friend, this man of faith. But, let us never forget how Jesus has called us his friends in Genesis 15, sorry, in John 15, verses 13 to 15. If we do what he commands, just as Abraham did what his friend commanded him. I wonder how we would respond if the Lord laid a burden upon us. How would we react and respond to what the Lord puts upon our hearts? Again, what does it take to build a man or a woman of faith? Doesn't it take a persistent walk with God, even in the midst of circumstances we don't quite understand? Doesn't it take obedience, patience, and con? confidence, just as we have already seen in Hebrews 11, verses 8, 9, and 10. May you have a truly blessed day, listeners, as you walk with God today, remembering that he is the Lord God Almighty, who brings about his perfect plan at his perfect timing in his perfect way. Amen.